If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn in them with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12. Again, the uh, passage is printed for you in the bulletin as well as Bibles available on the back table that you can borrow or take. We return this morning to a series uh, that we have been in for, for many weeks, a series called The Life of a Pilgrim. In the wake of uh, our annual focus on the resurrection, I would remind you that this is a life, a pilgrim life that is empowered by the Spirit of the risen Christ. It's a life that indeed itself is headed towards resurrection. And yet, until that day, it is oftentimes it's a plodding type of life. As the Lord refines, as the Lord chisels away so many of those lingering sins that don't reflect the new creations that we are in Christ Jesus. And so we've been talking about these issues in our lives, these struggles in our lives, the struggle of anxiety, anger, discontentment, ingratitude, our speech, the sharpness of our tongue, and our pride. Well, today what marks the seventh, uh, the seventh so-called respectable sin, and it's a series that we really could just go on forever with. Uh, there is no end uh, to our struggles, there is no end to our sins, But at some point, we've got to reel it in. At some point, we've got to move on. And so uh, we're going to conclude this in just a couple more weeks. I think two more weeks, uh, we'll look at uh, this series of the life of a pilgrim. And then we're going to move on to something else. But for today, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Listen as I read. This is Jesus speaking to, uh, well, the beginning of the chapter says thousands of people are present. He begins by speaking to his disciples. So he may be speaking to his disciples here and allowing the thousands to overhear. But these are the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who, are, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, 
This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Less than a year after Ann and I were married, we were uh, invited to come live in her grandmother's home, Mama Hatcher. Um, We were living in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the time, and uh, Mama Hatcher, as well as her parents, were living in Augusta. And Mama Hatcher had gotten to the point where she was too old to care for herself, and she had basically just left her, her, uh, her house as it was, as she increasingly um, aged and eventually moved into her parents. And so our role was, or our invitation was to come live in this house and begin to, to clean it out as we live there, um, begin to fix it up as we live there. And, and we did that. And it was a great uh, two years. And one of the things that was particularly fun about living in Mama Hatcher's house Mama Hatcher didn't prepare uh, for us to live there. She just moved out, and so we just moved in. And uh, as we began to clean out her house, we began finding stashes of money. So one day we would be making the bed and tucking the sheets under the mattress, and, hey, what's, what's that? And pull out the envelope and $200 in cash. And then we'd be uh, cleaning out a drawer or a file cabinet in some way, and, and uh, lo and behold, another $300 in cash. And then at one point I was taking a mirror off of the door uh, to replace it, and lo and behold, $500 in cash stashed behind the mirror. You can imagine, for a young couple just married, this was a great experience. Of course, we uh, gave all the cash or reported all the cash to her father, and then he determined what to do with it. Uh, it was a fun couple years, and it wasn't necessarily bad. I don't tell you that story uh, to say that it was necessarily bad for Mama Hatch to be saving and stashing her cash. The thing that's interesting for us to think about it as we turn to a passage like Luke chapter 12 is that for her, in some way, what she was doing was a measure of security. It was a measure of comfort for her, that her money was all over the place. It was stashed. It was safe in multiple places. But now she was gone. Now she was gone and that money that she had stashed, that she had saved, that she had earned, meant nothing to her. And our fear was, though much of it was discovered by us and stayed in the family, our fear was that much of it was not discovered. And in the stacks of National Geographics that went out the door into the trash, who knows how much we lost. You see, it's a, it's a story that's interesting because it gets us thinking about our stuff. It gets us thinking about our money. 
and how we view our possessions. And it helps us to begin to digest what Jesus' words are here in Luke 12. Yes, I'm going to talk about money. I'm going to talk about possessions. I'm going to talk about your stuff. You know, money and possessions and how we handle them, it's one of those areas that's so private, even for so many of us who are transparent in every other area of our lives, and yet finances, ooh, let's not go there. And yet Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell when he was here on earth. Why? Because he knows what kind of power it can hold over us. And he knows that we, as his followers, that we are fighting a fight. Fighting a fight of allegiance and service between our stuff and between our God. We love our stuff. I love my stuff. But we are too easily preoccupied with our possessions. And I think that we too easily fall prey to the lie that our possessions define us. That our possessions ultimately make us happy. And so yes, I'm afraid that this might hurt a bit this morning. But join the club, because I've been hurting for days now. See, Jesus shoots a warning shot across the bow and he speaks to the sin of materialism, the sin of greed, the sin of covetousness. That desire, that innate desire in us to want something too much or to want too much of something. This is a message for all of us this morning, no matter where you are and no matter how many times you've been challenged. You need to hear this again. And you know what? Young parents, this is a message for our kids. For our kids especially. I prayed for our kids because I'm especially burdened for them growing up in a culture of stuff of pride, of possessions, of increasing importance of possessions. And sometimes I fear my own heart and what I am reflecting to my kids in regards to my love for possessions, to my preoccupation with stuff. And so may we all be challenged. This isn't a particularly complex passage, but it is a challenging one for us this morning. Two men are spoken of in this passage, Luke chapter 12. Two men frame this account of Jesus talking to the crowds. One is there in person, a real man asking a question, and one is a man in Jesus' story. And it's these two men that point us to two things, I think, Two truths that we need to be challenged with again and again and again. And the first one is this. Guard your hearts. Because life isn't about stuff. Guard your hearts. Because life isn't about stuff. 
See, in this account, Jesus speaks to a first century culture whose tendency was to focus on the things that money can buy, on the power that accumulation can wield. Now you're here this morning. Whether Jesus' words are brand new to your ears or whether you've heard this passage and this kind of theme many times, you need to hear it again because we live in a culture that doesn't stop barraging you with lies. We live in a culture that preaches the same thing that Jesus' followers were struggling with. And I'm afraid we subtly get sucked in. You know, we hear and, and we talk at times about uh, the American dream. But if you think about that phrase, if you think about the American dream, it's a definition that has changed, seemingly. It's a definition that has morphed. The American dream used to be, at least I think, it used to be all about freedom. And now the American dream seems to be all about Things. Opportunity. But not opportunity to be free. Not opportunity to be wor- to, to worship. But opportunity to become wealthy. Opportunity to be comfortable. It's this thing called consumerism that becomes that has now become a dominant part of our lives. In 1970, Americans collectively owed $5 billion in credit card debt. In 1995, that number had increased 2,000% to $395 billion. Today, Americans collectively owe 8 hundred billion dollars in credit card debt. That averages out to about sixteen thousand dollars per family. You see, we love our stuff. We love the stuff we can't afford. And we, the church, though I hope not on the extreme edge of that statistic, are part of that statistic. And I know I'm not trying to Slam on toes. I'm just trying to step on toes. But I know that some of us, I'm not saying credit cards are bad. I know that some of us have to go into debt for various reasons and because of various catastrophes. But I'm speaking of the consumerism which so easily gets sucked in uh, to our lives that we need that. We love our stuff. Too often the way we spend our money differs little from the way that the world spends its money. And we might say that, yes, there is more to life than stuff, but do our checkbooks reflect that belief? Well, Jesus reminds us of the truth this morning in Luke chapter 12. The two men that are spoken of, to go back to our text, they share this common, familiar, very natural dilemma. 
In fact, we would say that there is nothing in terms of these men's circumstances that is necessarily problematic. The first has a question about the division of inheritance. The second has been blessed with this blockbuster crop, this blockbuster harvest. But really, neither of those things in and of themselves ought to be troubling for us. They're not troubling to us. Then what's the issue? Well, the issue is the response. The issue is the heart. These men's hearts. See, Jesus' response to the question is a little bit shocking, I think, as we first read it. Jesus seems ticked. He seems mad. I don't think he was mad at the circumstance that this man found himself in. I think Jesus responded the way he did because Jesus knew the man's heart. He knew what motivated this question. He wanted Jesus to give him his due. See, Jesus saw the greed behind this man's question. Not only that, but this was a distraction for the Son of Man. This was a distraction for the Son of God. This wasn't His mission. This wasn't His focus. He wasn't here to deal with matters in this life. He was here to show that which is truly life. And so He uses this man's question, which He doesn't answer, to teach and to address the larger issue of our stance towards our things. And he tells this story of a rich fool. It's a story of basic blessing, bigger barns, iced tea on the front porch, and a surprise ending. It's basically the story. Blessing, bigger barns, iced tea on the front porch, and a surprise twist at the end. What was the point? What was Jesus' point? It wasn't the wealth alone. The Scriptures are filled with wealthy men. Abraham, wealthy. Solomon, Job, even Joseph of Arimathea. It wasn't the wealth. It was what the wealth created. Complacency. Self-sufficiency. Covetousness. The lie that my stuff will make me happy. My stuff will make me secure. And it's this that Jesus says, guard your hearts against. Because the key phrase in the passage is one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Life isn't about stuff, and yet we so easily miss this fact and slip into the frame of mind that it is. The the man in the story did, and he was called a fool as a result. When the Bible calls someone a fool, it doesn't call someone a fool to describe lack of intelligence. It's describing this man as a fool, as one who has a hatred 
for God's reality, for reality as it truly is. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's not that that man is unintelligent. It's that he is ignorant at best, rebellious at worst. See, Jesus terms the man a fool because of what the wealth did to him. Did you notice that the words my and I are used a dozen times in this little parable? I will do this, he says. I will do this with my crops, my barns, my grains, my goods. See, the ground has produced this bounty. Everything out of his control has blessed him. And suddenly, he turns inward. It's all about him. And he becomes not a careful steward of God's bounty, saving and planning and stewarding, but no, he becomes a hoarder. He becomes a hoarder. There is no acknowledgement of God. There is no gratitude to God. There is no consideration of others. Even the conversation itself has to do with no one. He's just talking to himself. He wants more. He'll make accommodation for more. He's the one spoken of of in Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. He's a fool. He's not keeping before him the reality of the world and specifically God's place in the world. And he may not even, he may not even have rebelliously gone there. It just subtly wooed him in. People of God, here, the creator of the universe, the creator of all that is, reminds you to guard your heart. Guard your heart. Your life is not about your stuff. The ESV here says in verse 15, Jesus' words are, take care. But it's an imperative. Other translations have conveyed, I think, more of the force of Jesus' words. It's not a passing, take care. The NIV translates those first verses, watch out, be on your guard. Another English translation says, Beware! Beware! For life does not consist in the abundance of things. I've probably quoted this song before, but my favorite Rich Mullins song ever. If you know Rich Mullins, he's now with the Lord, but It's the song, If I Stand. And there's a line in that song 
that says, the stuff of earth competes for the allegiance. I owe only to the giver of all good things. The stuff of earth competes for the allegiance. I owe only to the giver of all things. And so the question, the challenge turns into us, have we become fools in regards to what the Lord has given to us? And regards to what the Lord has entrusted to us? Have we let our hearts become unhealthily enamored with our portfolios or our retirement or our college savings or that new car or that timeshare or that whatever? The Lord Jesus says, beware, watch out, guard your heart in the midst of that abundance. But the question is for us, how do we guard our hearts? Well, that brings us to the second truth, and it's this. True life consists in richness toward God. True life consists in richness towards God. That's the other message that we hear loud and clear from Jesus' words and from Jesus' story. We all want to truly experience life. We want to experience that fullness. And if it's not about stuff, then what? It's about Him. It's not about you. It's not about your family. It's not about your legacy. It's not about your comfort. It's about Him. It's about the one who is described by Paul in 2 Corinthians 8-9, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Our riches, His poverty. The Apostle is not talking about wealth. He's talking about life. He's talking about true life. How to experience life that transcends all of our stuff. Jesus had told his disciples earlier, in this very book, in this very account, in Luke chapter 9, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And so Jesus reminds us that life is found in being rich towards God. That's what he says at the very end of this passage. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like to be rich towards God? Found an excellent quote that's going to help us. From a commentator this week, he helps us as he packs this biblical wisdom into this quote about what this might look like. So listen, it helps us examine our own hearts. Here it is, and I quote, I am rich toward God when His glory is my highest goal, when His worship is my deepest joy, and when His fellowship is my greatest satisfaction. Let me stop there and ask, Are we making these things a priority in our lives? His glory, His worship, His fellowship. It's those things that we believe are means of grace to communicate to you the promises and the blessings 
If you're neglecting them, you're neglecting a means to be rich towards God. Are we grateful? We've talked about ingratitude. I don't need to go much into this, but gratitude, gratitude counteracts covetousness. It does. Because it gets the focus off of ourselves and on the giver. Well, let me pick up the quote. I am rich toward God when I offer all my abilities for His work without reserve. And so we ask ourselves in the midst of our callings, in the midst of our many diverse gifts and jobs that are represented here this morning, is my focus His glory or is my focus my gain? Back to the quote, I am rich toward God when I take the time to serve people in need and give the first portion of everything I get to Christian ministry. When was the last time that we gave, that you gave, that I gave a significant chunk of my personal time, my personal resources to someone in need. This is exactly what Paul told Timothy to direct the wealthy people in his midst about. Not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share, that they might build a foundation for the future and take hold of that which is truly life. Give, 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 and give some more. I am rich toward God when I make the needs of the poor a priority in my financial giving and embrace a simple lifestyle that gives me more freedom for ministry. And so we ask ourselves, what do we need to get rid of in our lives in order to help us focus, in order for us to be more single-minded? There is so much clutter in our lives. How can we dematerialize How can we simplify? I am rich toward God when I decide that there are some things I cannot live without so that I will have more to give to people who do not have the gospel. I am rich toward God when I give and give until all I am and all I have is dedicated to His glory. It's a great quote. I know I messed it up because I talked in between it. I'll post it on the city for all to see and to be challenged by. But let me just end with this. If we live like this, if we invest like this, we show ourselves, we show ourselves clearly to be different. Our stance towards our stuff makes tangible our transformation. It does. It's hard, but it's possible by the power of the risen Christ, by His Spirit that indwells each of us. It's possible. And that chorus of that Rich Mullins song that I quoted that line from, the chorus is this, If I stand, let me stand on the promise that You will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to You. It's a great line. It's a great prayer. It was David's prayer in Psalm 39, and we need it. We'll end with this. 
David said in Psalm 39, 4, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, For what do I wait? My hope is in you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we confess that too easily that is not the cry of our heart. That our functional hope is in our bottom line. It's in the current balance. It's in the comfort that we have around us. Father, help us, help us to guard our hearts. Father, we acknowledge that you are a good God and that you have given us so much to enjoy. We want to enjoy the bounty that we have. We want to give praise where it's due. You don't want your children to be desolate. And yet, Father, too easily we don't view ourselves as grateful stewards of things that have been entrusted to us, but we view ourselves as owners, as hoarders. And our selfishness and our pride takes over. And we believe the lies. Father, forgive us and work in us that which is pleasing to you that we might reflect. That we might reflect and make tangible the transformation. The transformation of the gospel. Father, may this word find deep root in our hearts, we pray. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen.